This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. So we are going to start with um, the second uh, part of my portion of understanding spiritual warfare, which is the importance of prayer. So let's go ahead and... um, Read our foundation of scripture that we've been working on the last uh, few weeks here. If you'll go over to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 10 through 18. So Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18. Verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So, the last few weeks we've gone through and we've looked at this, the armor of God. And we've gone through and, you know, uh, Brother Everhart came in. He gave his piece. Minister Rodriguez came and gave his piece. And my piece, uh, my portion of this is the verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So we're going to talk about the importance of prayer. And we started this not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before that. So we're going to do a review, kind of an extensive review. I wouldn't say I'm going to be going really slow for you to take notes. So if you're trying to write something, use some shorthand. But we are going to kind of go over some of the things more intensive than we usually would with a review. So we have to understand that our warfare is spiritual. So we need spiritual protection and guidance. It's not any of our our natural or mental wit or things that we're going to be able to do in and of ourselves to be successful in this warfare. So we need spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear. We can't allow our natural senses to try to lead us to try and protect us. So we have to seek God in prayer and that's how we're going to stay in the spirit. That's how we're going to be successful in this warfare. We have to understand how important prayer is. Prayer is communication with God. Prayer releases the power of God in our cares and our situations. Prayer is the energy that enables us to wear the armor properly and wield the sword. So when we look at those, um, the armor there that we looked at, the breastplate of righteousness, having our free shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace, taking the shield of faith, what I was saying is without prayer, you may have those things, but you don't know how to use them properly. Because, you know, you may have your feet, your feet have to be shot with the preparation of peace. It can't be on your hands. You may have the sword, but you don't know how to use the sword. You're not trained in it. So we have to have prayer so that we know how to use those things effectively and that we can do what God has called us to do. Prayer is work. It's labor because it brings to pass the uh, desire of God in the earth for you and others. 
So what we have to understand is that our prayers, and we're going to talk about this a lot tonight, is our prayers, they're just not for us. We don't have selfish prayers. You may say, well, Sister Castile, I pray for other people, but you pray for other people in a selfish manner. Like, oh, I pray for me and I pray for my family, I pray for the people at work, not because you want to see them saved, but no, you don't. You want them to do what you want them to do. You pray for, like, you know, people at work, I pray that they don't get on my nerves today, God. You, they don't get on your nerves. It's not about what they can accomplish through God, what they can be. It's about how is this going to affect me. Same thing with my family. Oh, God, I need my family to be saved because when I'm around them, I don't want to have to deal with all that carnal talk that they're doing. No, you don't want to deal with the carnal talk, but what about them just being saved? What about them having a relationship with God? That's the thing we have to understand, that our prayers, we have prayers for ourselves. We should pray, but at the same token, the same way, listen, you're in the kingdom now because somebody had a fervent, effective prayer for you. So we have to have that same fervent, effective prayer for others. Our motivation, you can pray for people, but it can be a selfish motivation. And we have to make sure that we're always in line with what God is saying, not just doing things out of our own um, our own way. And we're going to get into that a lot tonight. So um, a couple of weeks ago we, we just started and I said the goal of this teaching is to explain the importance of prayer and spiritual warfare and to learn how to pray effectively. So how we're going to do that is we're just going to break down verse 18. We're just going to break it down into pieces and look at um, what it's saying. So first of all we looked at praying always. So always when you think of the word always just unending right all the time. But I said, you know, I'm here now. I'm not praying. I'm teaching. So it can't be praying always like that. But we said always means perpetually in a way that never ends or changes. It's continually, consistently, habitually. And my kind of take on that is never without constant open contact with God. So that's our prayer should always be there. It should be perpetually in a way that never ends or changes. We should always have constant open contact with God. Prayer should have a fixed position in our life. What I mean by that is that prayer should be the center of everything you do. It should be fixed no matter what situation you're going through, no matter what circumstance, no matter what age, no matter what season of your life. Prayer should be fixed in your life. That's how prayer should be. It should always be there. It should be at the heart of everything that we do. Let's go to John chapter 15. So prayer should be at the heart of everything that we do. So in uh, John chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 4 through 7. Verse 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine." No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much root. For without me ye can do nothing. If a a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done. So what I wanted to bring out of that was uh, verse 7 there. It says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. So when we abide, we, when we abide in God, what we ask of Him, He's going to do. 
We're going to abide in him. We're going to abide in his will. So when we make our supplication, when we make our request, he's going to grant us that request because we're abiding in him. So one of the critical components of prayer is trust or faith in, in God. With trust, there comes an expectation. So if you trust me, like if you say, here's the deal. So if you say, oh, Sister Castile, I need a ride. Can you come pick me up for service Saturday, uh, Sunday? And I say, yes, you trust me to do that. You don't go get another ride. In fact, if I say, okay, I'll be there at 730 to pick you up. At 729, you're ready because you expect me. You trust me. Now, somebody you don't trust, you probably go find a backup ride. You start calling about 715. You're going to be here. But that's not how we are with God. With God, we can, when we ask him something, we can trust that he's going to do it. And that's what we have to do. We have to have that trust in him. We have to have the expectation. And I think the last time um, I was teaching this, I was talking about an expectation that we have with God in our prayer. We come here. We pray. We pray for our families. We pray for this ministry. We pray for people who are not saved to be saved. We pray for people who are saved and just out of fellowship to be brought back into fellowship. When we see those things happen because we trust God, we expect it. We're not surprised when we see somebody new come in and give their life to Christ. We're not surprised when we see people in the next generation service getting getting saved. We're not surprised when our youth and our young adults, when they have a commitment to God because we've prayed and we've asked God for that. Now, if you're surprised, then you are wishing. You don't have a faith in God. You just think. So we have to remember when we have our trust in God, we're expecting him to do something because we've laid all of our cares on him. And we know that he has the power to do it. And when we abide in him, guess what? He's going to answer our prayers. He's going to give us what we ask. So go over to First King, oh, excuse me, Second Kings chapter 13. And I say it was kind of extensive review because some of this is going to be very important that you kind of hold on to it through the next portion of the teaching. So Second Kings chapter 13. Second Kings chapter 13, we're going to read verses 14 through 19. And it says, Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elijah said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand on the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hand. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek, till they, thou have consumed them. And he said, and this is Elijah saying, Take arrows. And he took them. So the king took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, Thou should have smitten five or six times. Then hadst thou smitten Syria till thou hadst consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. So this whole encounter is symbolic. So 
We come in and we come in and here's the king. He's Joash and he comes to see Elijah because Elijah's sick. And he talks to Elijah and Elijah says, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take the bow and arrow, shoot it eastward. And that's what he does. The king does that. And then Elisha explains to him, hey, let me tell you what this meant. The bow and the arrows were the symbol of the strength and the victory that God was going to give Joash. So, Elisha explained that to Joash. And what Joash did next, now he had a full understanding of what it meant. So Elisha explained it to him. I know here we look in the scriptures and we say, oh, he just told him a couple of words. But Joash understood so he said, now, take the arrows and, and smite them. And so Joash took three arrows, and he did it three times. And then you say, well, he did it three times. That's great. But then Elisha's like, whoa, why did you just do three times? You should have done five or six times. Because what was happening here is God was willing to do as much as he asked him for. He did it three times. And I said, you should have done it five or six times. That's how we are sometimes with God in our prayers. We limit God. God is saying, here it is. Here it is. I am all powerful. What do you need? And we come to God and we give him a little mediocre. Well, God, I just need three things. And God is saying, but here, here are all these things that you see. This guy knew about Syria. He was the king. He knew their strength. He knew what he needed, but he came in and he didn't trust God. He limited God by what he did. It wasn't that God had limitations. He put the limitations on God. That's what we do sometimes because we don't trust God. Maybe it's because of things that we've done in the past. Or maybe we just don't feel like we're worthy. But God is saying now, hey, here's this opportunity. What would you have me to do? We can't limit God in our situation. We can't limit God in what he wants to do through us and in us. We have to, if he says, here it is. If he says, here it is. I'm showing you. What's interesting in this whole situation is first he showed him, he let him do one thing. And it said, okay, shoot the arrow eastward. He was obedient in that. And he said, guess what? This is what that symbolizes. That symbolizes victory. Now, how much more victory do you want? And he said, oh, I'll just take three. He should have, I was thinking about this today. He should have been looking for arrows. He should have been borrowing arrows from the neighbor next door. But what I'm saying is, we serve an all-powerful God. If he, if, he, if he says here's a blank check, you know, hey, exhaust the, exhaust the ink. We can't pray as a last resort. So we shouldn't limit God, limit our praying to when we have an emergency or a challenge. What we have to remember, like I said, we have a limitless God. Why are we going to God when there's a problem? What we should do is we should have that open, constant communication, uh, communication with God so when things do come up, we're prepared for them. Things are going to come up. You're going to have emergencies. You're going to have situations. Those things are going to come up, but we can be prepared for that. We can always have that open, constant communication with God. One thing about it is when we don't have that, when we just go to God in prayer, when we need something or there's an emergency or every so often, we don't have the confidence in him because we haven't been spending that time with him. We don't think, you know, we think God's like us, you know, well, they haven't been talking to me, so I'll just give them a little bit, you know, and that's not how it is. But we've taken ourselves out of position. So when we go to God, we're limiting God because we don't feel like we're, we hadn't done what we're supposed to do. Instead of just going to God and opening up our hearts to Him. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. So, we have to have faith. We have to believe that God is who He says He is. And He's going to do what He said He's going to do. Not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. Remember, it's not just about us. It's not just about us. 
if everybody thought that way, we wouldn't be here right now. It's about other people. It's what God is doing in you so he can work through you and reach other people. Prayer releases the power of God so we can't take it for granted. So, you know, we do have the, we have the great luxury, the great privilege of prayer. You know, we can go to God. We have the Holy Spirit in us. You know, the veil has been rent. We can pray. But we have that privilege and sometimes we take it for granted. But, oh, you know, oh, God, you know, oh, you know, I'm so sleepy, but God, thank you for this day. Amen. You know, and then we like, we just, we just use it like it's, it's nothing. It's, prayer is powerful. So when we pray, we need to make sure that our prayers are beneficial, that our prayers are not, 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 not shallow. Not just doing things out of, out of habit. Doing things really out of a true heart of wanting to see God's will done. We also have to be mindful of our relationship to God and our relationship with God. And this is what we spent the majority of our time on last time I was teaching this. Our relationship to God is who we are in relationship to God. So basically what that is is God is God, you are not. That's what it is. He's the creator. He's all-powerful. We're not. God is not our servant. We went over to Isaiah 40 and we looked at verses 21 through 26. We're not going to go back there tonight. Um, but what I do want to remind everybody of is when we pray, we, we don't go to God as equals. Remember, we're the lesser. He's the greater. He's the greatest. He's all-powerful. We're not. So when we go to God and we pray... We're not just going to God to talk about things. You know, I think I gave an example last week of the guy that I worked with that wrote the email and was like, let me get some, some input on it. And it was an email he shouldn't have wrote, but he just, hit, he just hit sin. So, you know, we go to God and we have an issue. And let's say, let's say, we'll use one everybody, a family issue. So you got some family domestic issues and you're praying and you're like, and God, we just, this needs to happen because it's your will. And you got your scriptures. You done looked up your scripture. You're like, this is it. You studied out all the words. You know them in Greek. You got a little chart. You ready. You sitting down now, you praying and God and da 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 and God and thank you, Father. And this person shall be saved and this situation is under your uh, jurisdiction and you got it. You saying all that stuff and say, thank you, God. And then you go to God and you start doing what you want to do. That's what you call venting. That's what the guy did at work. He wrote the email. He said, hey, read this and see if it's okay to send. Hit send. No, he just wanted somebody just, he just wanted to let it out. That's what we do a lot of times. We go to God and we say, God, this is happening and this is happening and this needs to change and this needs to be this way. But then we go and we take it into our own hands. We don't ask God, we, we say we ask God what we should do. But when we go to God, we've already got a plan mapped out. I'm going to pray for him, then I'm going to go talk to him, and then I'm going to talk to him again. I'm going to send him a link to the podcast. I'm going to invite him to church three times, and then I'm going to try to go pick him up. And you haven't asked God anything. But you go and you pray, like you say, you're going to pray on Saturday, and then on Sunday I'm going to send him this. And you go through, you had not asked God, should I do this? You, you hadn't waited for God to say, go ahead and do that. You just run on and do it. So you say, oh, yeah, no, I know God is God. No, you don't. Because if you're doing that, you don't know God is God. You're God. God is just, just your, your person you talk to who will listen to you or so you think. So that's what, we, that's what I mean. You have to know that God is God. We are not. 
When we pray, we must understand and accept that we don't know anything. We don't have anything. That we're going to God for everything we need. We have to be humble. There has to be some humility when we go to God. We can't go to God with this proud, puffed up spirit and heart thinking that, Oh, well, God, you know, I'm your child and you only hit your, his child by what he's done. So remember that. So we can't go in thinking, oh God, you know, I, I already got a handle on the situation. I just need, once again, I just need to get your okay. Just tell me that this is all right to do. Or you know what, God, I was wondering about this part of the plan. How about you give me some input on this and that's the way I flow. But the rest of it, you know, the first part and the last part I'm straight with. But the middle, I'm going to need a little of your input. That's not how we go. That's pride. That's prideful. That's puffed up. That's thinking that you're God. You know, sometimes we think because you don't come in with your chest all stuck out, stuck out saying, oh, I'm all that, I'm all that, that we're not being prideful. But any time that you exalt yourself, your ways, your thoughts above God, that's prideful. That's prideful. That's not how we go. That, that's not how we live. That's especially not how we go to God in prayer. We need to seek Him with humility. We need to seek Him understanding that, once again, He's God, we're not. Prayer always springs out of a sense and a belief that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Earlier I talked about that expectation. We have an expectation that if we abide in Him and we seek Him, He's going to reward that that we're doing. When we don't recognize our... We went to um, Hebrews chapter 11 and 6. We're not going to go there tonight. When we don't recognize our relationship to God, earlier I said this, we'll be arrogant, we'll be prideful. Our attitude will say that we're equal to God. When we don't have, and we won't have any humility in this. And the thing about it is what you have to understand is God is not sharing His glory. You may want to be used by God, but when you have that, that, that prideful, arrogant attitude, God can't use you. Because you think it's all about you, and it's not. In prayer, it shows that we have a reliance and a dependence on God. When we pray, it shows that we're insufficient and that we're going to God who is sufficient. That's what we're looking for. It displays a, a real humility because remember, we're humbling ourselves. You know, I was thinking it as I was studying this out, it was talking about, you know, we think about children. And actually, I was thinking about this with my nephew. He had gotten in trouble and my sister was really mad at him. And she said, Noah, leave me alone right now. And it was something he needed. And he said, Mom, Mom. And she said, Noah, leave me alone. Give me a little bit of time to cool down. He kept asking. You know what? He, didn't, he, he knew. He knew who to go to. Who would always answer him? In this case, it was his parents. That's the way we go to God. You know, we go to God and, because he's the one who can give us what we need. And, you know, you go to them, you know, that's where I was talking about you come to God as a child. Because children, children, first of all, they don't even know what they need. Somebody else has to tell them what they need. And then they give it to them. So, you know, when you think of a child, they sometimes when children are small, even when they get old, they don't know if they're hungry. They'll just say they're hungry. And the parents say, you're not hungry. Go sit down. And, and what does the child do? Most of them, they go sit down. And then the parents say, it's time to eat. They get in and they go eat. That's how we ought to be with God. That's how we ought, we ought to go to him. We're like, God, you're the only one who has what I need. Like in that example I was saying about my nephew, my sister had what he needed. And he knew that she has what I need. I got to keep asking. I got to keep asking. So that's the way we're to go. In humility. Not holding anything back. 
Prayer acknowledges my lack and my limitations while acknowledging and asking God for his sufficiency and his limitless ability and power. Just like we've talked about, God is limitless. We don't have to limit him. You know, and I know you're thinking, well, well, how do I limit God? There are some things that God wants to get through. Earlier, we taught on strongholds. We've heard a lot about strongholds in the the last few months. There are some things that God wants to get through in your mind. That God wants to say, you have been putting me in a place that I am not. And you have to let go of that. You've got to change your mind on that. And until you do, even in your prayers, there are things, you know, I was reading over the document. That document on fasting is amazing. Oh, Woo! Okay, anyway, back to the, but let me tell you. But even in that, it was saying that, you know, there are things that God wants to do. God wants to break through. He wants to spring forth. But guess what? If you put something in front of it, if that stronghold that's in your mind is in front of that, it is not going to break through. It is not going to spring forth. You're going to push it back. And then you're going to wonder, well, God, why didn't this work for me? It didn't work for you because you didn't break the stronghold. You let the limits stay on. So let's go over to, we're going to look at now, what we just looked at was our relationship to God. Who God is, who we are in relationship to God. So God is God, we are not. So right, we are submitted to him. We go to him in humility. We don't go to him with our plan saying bless our plan. We say God, maybe this is alright, but what do you want me to do? We wait on him, we get his answer and we act in that way. That, is, that means God is God, we are not. The next thing we're going to talk about is our relationship with God, or our position, our alignment with God. Go over to Ephesians. Last week we went to kind of two passages of scriptures, which was Romans 8, 14, and 17. We're not going to go there tonight. We are going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to first look at, oh, let me get over there. First look at um, verses 1 through 6, then we're going to jump down to um, verses 18 18 through 22. So uh, verse 1 says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ, by grace are ye saved. And have raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So let's skip down to verse 18. For through him we both have, we both have access by one spirit. That's the Jew and the Gentile. Both. Um, we have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints. And of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple 
in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. You know, that's, that's just powerful. We are, we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We've been placed into a habitation of God. It says it there. We've been, we are holy temple in God, uh, the holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So what we just looked at shows us who we are now. We used to be outside. We used to be foreigners. But now we're citizens of the kingdom of God. We're no longer away from God, but we've been brought to God. We've been brought close to him by grace. So we have a position in the family of God. Remember last week we looked at sons. We talked about being placed in the body and being placed in the family of God. We've been put in that position. The family of God. There we are. We are sons. We can call him father. We are habitation. God doesn't change. God is who he is. He stays where he stays. His, his alignment and his position are fixed. But guess what? We can change. What does that mean? We can get out of alignment. Earlier we looked at abiding. The position that we're in, we can get out of. We cannot abide. That means get out of, move away from. So although we have the capacity to be in proper alignment and position, we're not always there. Sometimes we do things, sometimes we say things, sometimes we act ways, and we have a lifestyle that is not fitting of this position. So remember, so here it is right here. Look, let's look at this. And are built, this is verse 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So we're built on that foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. So when you think about a building, there are certain materials and there are certain things that, ways that things are going to be aligned in a building. We have to be aligned with the foundation, which is the apostles and the prophets, and the chief cornerstone, all of it is built on Jesus Christ. So when we abide in him, we're in that alignment. When we go out and we start doing all other crazy stuff, we're out of that alignment. So that's going to hinder our prayers. Go over to um, Psalms chapter 66. So remember, we always have the capacity to be in the proper alignment and position, but we're not always there. So we have to make sure that we are always checking where we are with God and that we're in the proper position. And remember, the position is not based on what we think is right and what we do. Remember, what's that? That chief cornerstone. That cornerstone is where everything is built off of. Every stone, every brick is laid based on that cornerstone, and that's Jesus Christ. So if we get out of position of the cornerstone, that's how we know we're out of position. It's not what the world says. It's not what religion says. It's not what your grandma's church says. It's what the Word says. So let's go over to Psalms chapter 66. And we're going to read verses 17 through 19. It says, I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily God hath heard me and hath attended to the voice of my prayer. So we see here that if we, in verse 18 is what I want to pull out there. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. 
So if I have iniquity in my heart, God's not hearing that. I'm out of position. That's it. We can't have iniquity in our heart. So what is iniquity? Well, last thing we said was sin, basically. Wickedness, vanity, baseness. You know, you can use any of those words you want to, but it's sin. We can't have, not only, we can't have the action of sin, but we can't have sin in our heart. You know, you don't sin without it already being in your heart. The, the sin starts there. Starts in, when I know you say a heart and I'm doing this like it, but no, it's in your mind. It's in your thoughts. It's in your motivations. It's in those little things that you don't check. That, we can't have that sin because God's not going to hear our prayer when we have iniquity in our heart. We can say the right words. We can have the correct physical posture. You can look right. Like I said earlier, you can have all your scripture. You can have everything outlined. You can have all your note cards, whatever you want to do. But if you have resentment and rebellion and selfishness in your heart, selfishness in your heart, God's not going to hear you. Go over to um, Isaiah 59. And we're going to read verses, um, let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 4. Isaiah 59 verse 1 through 4 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. So what that verse is saying is, hey, listen up. God can still save. He's just as strong as he was. He can still hear. He's not missing anything. But, here's the thing. Now here's the but. Verse 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, and your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perverseness. None calls for justice, nor any pleaded for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and breathe forth iniquity. So God's still God. His strength and his power has not diminished. But maybe your position is off. Maybe you're no longer aligned with that cornerstone. Maybe you're doing your own thing. Maybe you have some selfishness, some some things in your heart. Maybe you're actually doing some things that are wrong. And you're still praying and you're wondering why nothing's happening. Because you got all that stuff going on. You got all that darkness, that iniquity. If you read all that, read the rest of that, it has some interesting ways of describing those things. When your heart's out of position, you're not. God's not going to hear you. It said it in Psalms. It said, "If there's iniquity in my heart, God's not going to hear me." So we always have to check our heart, and we have to check our motive. We have to make sure that we're going to God with clean hands and a pure heart. That we're not going to Him in our own selfish desires and our own puffed up ways, thinking that we're right. We have to go to God. We looked at Psalms 51. Verses 1 through 7, we're not going to go there tonight. In 1 John um, chapter 1, verse 7 through 9, it was talking about going to God and repenting. Asking God to create in us a clean heart. You know, there are things that maybe we don't know. Remember those strongholds? Usually if it's a stronghold, you don't know it's a stronghold. Somebody else has to show us a stronghold. So we have to go to God and we have to pour ourselves out to Him. We have to open it up and say, God, whatever's not like you, Show it to me because I want to repent. Create in me a clean heart. That's the way we have to go to God. That's when you can abide with him. You can't ab- God, listen, we, we know this and sometimes we forget it. You know, sin and God, they don't mix. You're not going to get 
close to God with sin in your heart. So, sin is anything that's not like God. Anything that you're doing, any disobedience, any attitude that he's told you to get rid of. So he's told you to get rid of it, but you decide you, okay, let's say, and I'll give a good example. So let's say sin, let's say you got a bad attitude and God told you to get rid of that bad attitude. So think of your bad attitude as a measuring cup and it has a cup full of bad attitude. Okay? And God said, get rid of that bad attitude and you pour seven eighths of it out and you put the rest down. Is everything out? That's what God is saying. You poured almost all of it out. But it's just a little bit you want to hold on to because, God, you don't know what has happened to me. God, you don't know all the things that I've gone through. And if I trust somebody again, they're going to hurt me. Or, God, you don't understand what this person did. Or, you don't understand how I grew up. And God is like, I don't. I don't understand. And he's like, pour that other stuff out. Pour it out. Because if you pour it out now, it won't start to stink. But right now, you can get rid of it. I can clean it up. But you want to hold on to it. And you're holding on to it. And God is saying, I can't deal with that. And then you know what's happening is you're holding on to it and you're praying. And then you're saying, well, God, this is not changing. God, I'm asking this and this. And you're wondering what's going on. And God's like, I told you before. There it is. You know it's there. Because this is how you know it's there. Every time it's some teaching, it's the thing you think of. It's that thing you think of, and you like, but God, and God's like, oh, what, what are we gonna have to do? Write it on the PowerPoint? And God's like, what? What are we? We got too many people in here to write them all on the PowerPoint. Listen to God. That's what He's saying. Get rid of it, though. Get rid of it. We can't have those things in our heart, and we have to go to God and we have to ask Him because the thing about it is, maybe, maybe, okay, you say, God, I got it, I got it. You pour the rest of it out. But guess what? That's that's something you were used to doing. That's something that's going to come, try to come right back. So we always have to go to God and say, God, you know, I just want to make sure it's always clean. So we always have to go to God and make sure that we have a clean heart, pure motivations, that we're coming to him the right way. So that's kind of, yeah, we're in a good spot. So um, that's kind of the review from last week. So that was praying always. And now we get to with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So we're going to break that down into with all prayer and supplication first. So in the last year, beginning of this year, there was extensive teaching on the types of prayers. We can go back and we can listen to those. We can look at our notes and we can see those things that we were taught on prayer. That means all prayer. All types of prayer. We don't just use one type of prayer. We use them all. We, we go in. We, don't, we exhaust the opportunities that we have. We exhaust the tools that we have. We make use of them. We use the proper prayer for the proper time. So maybe you're coming up against something and you really don't know what's going on and you're like, God, well, what do I do? Here was my suggestion to you. Was, you know what? Just start off with Thanksgiving. Just thank God. Just thank God for who he is. Thank God for who he's been in your life. Thank God for all the wonderful works that you've seen him, his abounding love, everything that you've seen fulfilled. And then, you know what, just, just praise and worship. And if you still don't know, just pray in the Spirit. You, you can do that. That's all prayer. Our prayer should be exhaustive. We shouldn't leave out any kind of prayer. Like I said, we, we can't be lazy in prayer. We can't just think that it's going to be all, you know, a God, just, just handle that God. You know, thank you, Jesus. Amen. No. We need to pray for the things we need. We need to consecrate and dedicate ourselves to God. We need to pray and intercede for others. 
We need to offer pray, uh, prayers of praise that outwardly demonstrate our inward worship to God. Those are all things that we need to do. We need to make sure that, that you know what, like you know what they say, eat the rainbow, pray. Pray all of those types of prayers. Get, get with it. And then, you know what, we need to make our supplications or our requests. We need to ask God, you know, God, there's some things I don't necessarily know what's going to happen, but God, you know, keep me from danger. Keep, keep those around. We want to ward off and prevent those things that we don't want to happen. You know, things that, that we pray for. I just think about this ministry. You know, one of the things that I always pray for this ministry, I say, I say God, until the end of this dispensation, until Jesus returns, I pray that Church of Living Water is always a church where Jesus Christ is Lord in this place. You know, there are churches that started off in the Word. There are ministries that started off in the Word, and if you look at them now, you wouldn't be able to tell that. Those, and you know what? People, people had good hearts and good intentions, but things just changed. So we have to make those kind of prayers. There are things we don't want to see happen. And we can pray for that. With all prayers also refers to thoroughness and intensity. We can't be lazy when we pray. Like I was saying earlier, you know, God handle that. You know, we can't say, God bless us, God take care of us, amen. You know, we may not know all the details of what we need, but we know enough to be thorough. We don't want to be like Joash over there when God said, I will do whatever. And then we say, well, God, just do what? Not even what, just W-H. We don't even take it off. We're like, God, well, well God, you know, I, God, I was trying to go back home and, and take a nap, so I didn't feel like praying that much. So, you know, we can't be lazy. We have to be thorough. We have to, be, we have, to have intensity in our prayers. We have to exhaust our prayers. You know what that means? That means... Leave nothing out. You know, pour it all out. Just like God. And, and that's not meaning you, everyone has their personality. We all, some people use a lot of words. Some people use a few words. God's not saying you have to be like somebody else. But he is saying you know what's exhaustive for you. So you use that. So next we're going to talk about in the spirit. So praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. So because... This is spiritual warfare. Our efforts must be spiritual efforts. So when we pray, we have to pray in the Spirit. And what that is, is in line with the Holy Spirit. Yes, we will pray in the Spirit. We will use our heavenly tongue, that utterance. But, listen, you're not going to pray in tongues in the Spirit without being led by the Spirit. So that's just a manifestation of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Uh, when we uh, pray in tongues. But go over to James chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10 in James chapter 4. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come, come they not hence, even of your own lust, even of your lust, that war in your members? Ye lust, and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore shall be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. But where, uh, excuse me, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, 
but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. So when we pray, it says here, let's, I'm going to look at verse 3 and 4. Oh, just verse 3. Ye ask and ye receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lust. So when we pray, we have to let go of our carnal and selfish prayers and align ourselves and our requests with God's will. We can't go in, I was talking about earlier about the selfish prayers. We're praying for things and we can shroud it in, oh, but God, this is your will. But you really don't care about God's will. You care about what you're doing or what you want to do. So when we pray, we have to get rid of our selfish desires and stop the quarreling and infighting. So this is something that as believers, we really, really, really just, just need to let it go. You know what? We have to be able to get along with each other. We don't all have to be best friends. We don't all have to hang out and do all of those kind of things. But we have to be able to get along. We have to stop all the pettiness. All just, just, just little stuff. You know, I was thinking about it. And it's just like stuff that, they, that, that the, the uh, children in the back get in trouble for. We can't do that. We have to get over the issues and the squabbles. Like in, in verse 1 it says, Whence comes wars and fightings among you? I was looking at that scripture and the war is like the big, big campaign. And the fightings are like the little skirmishes or the battles. And so you think about in the, in, uh, that in the ministry. And let, let's just be real. Let's just be, let's just be church of living water for a little while. We always are, but I mean in this teaching. We're just going to get real personal. Is that okay? Even if it's not, I'm going to keep doing it. So there are times and there are people... That you like, people just don't get along. And, and they can't get along. And they haven't gotten along for years. And you're like, what is that? That's, that's that war. That's that war. And then the fightings, you had a little fightings, you know, well, this happened, and I was doing this, and so and so said this, and we got into it, and they said something to me. And that's the little skirmishes. And sometimes, you know, in the big wars, we'll bring in people, and we'll have little skirmishes in that. But you know what, guys? It's time out for that. I'm going to tell you what. If there is anything that you hear tonight, hear this. Let that go. Let that go. Do you know why that happens? It's because it's something inside of you you want done your own way. And God is saying it's not going to be your way. It's not going to be their way. The thing about it is even if it was their way, what does it have to do with you? You submit to God. And then God's going to take care of the rest. So we have to let go of those things. We can't assume that we always know what's right. We don't know what's right. Remember, go back to earlier what I was just saying. We are not God. We are not God. So we're holding all of this animosity. We're holding all of this um, strife in our hearts. And then we think that we can go to God and we can ask. We can ask for anything. And God's like, no. You've got a whole lot of stuff that you know what you need to be asking me for. You need to be asking me to reveal those things so you can repent. Because God is saying, I'm not having that. I'm not having that. You know, the thing about it is, you look in the Old Testament and people would act up and something would happen to them. You know, they would die. Even the Ananias and Sapphira. Now, you, you know, God is still God. You know that, right? That's the same God today. So when you come in here 
and you decide you want to act a fool with somebody and get with them and tell, you better watch out. It's by grace, it's by his mercy that this is not happening. But then not only do you do it, but then you come in and you want to be all pious and look like you're praying and being holy. And God is saying, no, what did he say? You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your, your lust. Yeah, you're asking for people to get in position and all these things, but it's just so it makes you look good. You're not, you're not worried about God's plan being, well, you say you are, but you're not worried about God's come, plan coming to pass. You're worried about your position. You're worried about, you know, oh, okay, we'll just break it all out. Okay, all the changes that are happening. Well, this change and that change and I'm not here anymore and this person's here and that person's there. Did God promise you that was going to be yours to till the, till the end of time? No. You, you got all that in your heart and now the thing about it is you got all that in your heart. We just started 31 days of fasting. And you expect God to do something in those 31 days. Earlier we talked about it. We said we all have an expectation. You say you have an expectation, but God is saying you got that in your heart. I can't work with that. I can't do anything. So at the end of 31 days, if you keep all this stuff in your heart, the only thing you're going to come out with is different food. That's all. You can come up here. You can be up here every time, and you can pray all night. You're just going to be sleepy. Because the power of God cannot work when you have all this in your heart. So what I'm saying is get rid of all those squabbles. Get rid of all those fightings, whatever it is. And you know the thing about it is just go to God. He'll tell you exactly what you need to do. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you recompense and all that stuff. Just talk to God. Just talk to God. He'll straighten it out and say, you know what, it's not about you. That's probably what he's going to say. It's not about you. Get over it. Move on. That's it. That's, that's it and that's all. That's really what it's about. If you come down to it, whatever little issue you got with somebody... Even if they did you wrong, guess what? It's not about you. Even if they took your parking spot, even if they took the last cookie, I don't know what they did. Even if they wore the dress that you wore or the suit that you wore, it's over. Get over it. Get over it. Even if they did something that was truly hurtful. I just gave a lot of little simple, shallow examples. But maybe they did something that was really hurtful to you. And you feel like, well, you know, I'm justified in holding this in. You're not. You know? We do a lot to God all the time, y'all. We do a lot. We're holding all this unforgiveness and God's saying forgive. So if he can forgive us, we can forgive. And we're always wrong. Now listen, it's never a time that God is wrong and we're right. So just think about it like that. God forgave us. I know he forgave me. I know sometimes he told me stuff and I'm like, God, that, that's, are you sure? He's like, all right, God. But, and, and, but he doesn't hold it against me anymore. So what right do I have to hold something against somebody else? Let that go. Let it go. And let me tell you, let it go and just let God deal with it. And when I, when I say let it go, really and truly let it go. Like, let it go. Put it in the garbage disposal. Turn the garbage disposal on. Pour some vinegar down it. Let it go. Have no remnants of it. Let it go. It's not worth it. So in this scripture, we're talking about being in the spirit. And we, talk, we have to get rid of those things. You're, you know, when you have those kind of things in your heart, you, you can't, God, like I said, God's not going to be in that. What we have to understand is this world's order and our flesh, they're not in agreement with God's will. So we got to push that aside. And the adversary, and we're talking about this understanding spiritual warfare, the adversary, he wants you to give up. He wants you to give up. He wants you to let go of your faith. But if we submit to God, it says it here in these scriptures. Verse 7 says, if we submit to God, we resist the devil. That means take a stance against the devil. 
That means draw a line in the sand and say no, no. We see the tricks of the enemy. That's why we're praying. That's why we have the, the, uh, the weapons of our warfare. They're not carnal. So we can take a stand against the devil. And we draw nigh to God with clean hands and a pure heart. Then we can overcome these things. We can have the proper heart. We can have the proper motivation. And we can have the effectual fervent prayers that we need. Here's this one thing. The enemy is fine with you knowing the proper mechanics about prayer. He's fine with you. He's fine with you hearing this tonight. He's fine with you going and buying the prayer books and writing down all the scriptures and all of those kinds of things. He's fine with you praying. But he is not fine with you getting rid of all the issues that you have with God, getting rid of your stronghold, having a clean hands and a pure heart, and then going to God and applying what you know and what you've been taught and having an effective prayer life. Because the thing about it is, you can sit, anybody can read prayers. You know, they, they got books with prayers and scriptures. And it's scriptural. I've looked some of them up and I'm like, yeah, all this is scriptural. And they can sit there and they can read that. And they can say, Heavenly Father, thank you. I praise you. I give you glory. And they can read those scriptures and say everything in that prayer. But if they, they're not in the right position, the right alignment, they're just saying words. That's the difference. That's the difference between us as believers and someone who's not when we pray. Um, let's go to Romans chapter 8. We have to understand it's only by the Spirit leading and guiding us that we can pray the will of God. So Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 26 through 28. And you know, just, just go read Romans chapter, read all the Romans. Because I have to start in the middle of this and it just bugs me that I have to start in the middle of this. But for time's sake, we will. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the Spirit, excuse me, searcheth the hearts, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his to them who are called according to his purpose. So it is by the Spirit that we can pray the will of God. Yes, we can pray in the Spirit. We can have that utterance. But all of our prayers should be in the Spirit. Because they should be led by the the Holy Spirit that lives in us. He should lead and guide our prayers. And what I like there is what is in verse 28. To them that love God. To them who are called according to His purpose. Not love whatever, but love God. And remember, if we love God, we keep His commandments. And we're called according to His purpose. Not what we're doing, not what we think should be going on, but to His purpose. So we have to remember that it's by the Spirit's leading and guiding that we can pray the will of God. Go over to Isaiah chapter 1. And we're still talking about praying in the Spirit. So we're still in our Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, that scripture. We're in the Spirit. That part is what we're talking about now. But we are going to Isaiah chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 10 through 20. 
Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? Saith the Lord. I am full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks or the lambs or of the he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who have required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are trouble, they are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be as be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken. Hath spoken it. So we look here and God is like, don't even bring that to me. And he said, everything you're doing, you're doing all these things that, that are supposed to show that you have a relationship to me. But don't bring them to me because guess what? You don't have the right heart. So what we see here in this scripture that it's possible to be religious and rebellious at the same time. Just looking at what these people were doing, it looked like they were doing everything that they were supposed to. But God said, no, you don't have the right heart. You have blood on your hands. The great thing about this, though, God explains to them, don't do that because I see the blood on your hands. But wait a minute. You got the blood on your hands, but guess what? There's a remedy. I'm not going to leave you like this. Just come over. Reason with me. Let me tell you what to do. I'll wash you. I'll make you clean. And then, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. He, he's not leaving us in these points. But we can come in and we can pretend. We can do everything that looks right. But we can still have that rebellious heart. So although we go through the motions of prayer, if our hearts and our motives are pure, then our efforts are futile. They're not worth anything. What we have to do is our prayers have to be what God has ordained them to be. Go over to Exodus chapter 30. It's okay that we're doing some Old Testament scriptures. It's okay. So Exodus chapter 30. We're going to look at verses 7 through 9. Verse 7 says, And Aaron shall burn thereupon sweet incense every morning when he dress, dresseth the lamps. He shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. 
Ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall ye pour drink offering thereupon. So here we are, we're, we're looking at, um, this is Exodus, so this is this offer of incense is in the tabernacle. So we know that what we see in the tabernacle is a shadow of what's to come. So the incense represents prayer. So Aaron went in, he, he was the high priest at this time, and he would offer incense. And that was part of what he would, would, would do. In verse 9, you'll see it says, Ye shall offer no strange incense thereon. So the incense, later on in this chapter, it talks about what the incense was made of. And they were, it was very specific. And he says, Don't bring anything in here that's not what I told you to make. It had to be mixed according to God's plan, and it couldn't be counterfeited by man. So just like, our, just like this, this incense, it was God's plan. The Spirit that leads us to pray, the Holy Spirit, He it being inside of us, leads us to pray. That's what God's accepting. We can't try to counterfeit it by ourselves. So it's possible to, have, to pray fervently in the flesh, but never get through to God. So what we have to remember is we always have to be in God's will. We always have to be looking. We have to be in Him. He has to be in us. We have to be led and guided by the Spirit. Just like the people who made these incense, they didn't go in there, and I think it even said, don't let no, no apothecary come in here and try to tell you that it's going to be something better. They're, you're not going to improve on God's method, even in prayer. I know we think we can do certain things and do it all our kind of way, but no, we have to go to God the way He said for us to go. You're not going to come to Him, and you're like, well, God, well, maybe, I know you said say, but what if I just, like, hum it? You know, you're not going to do anything different. You're not going to come in and say, God, let my will be done. God said, no, it's my will that's going to be done. So when our prayers are selfish or they come from a rebellious heart, that's strange incense. That's strange fire. That's not what God is looking for. And he said, don't even bring that. Like, uh, I forget what chapter, but if you look, there were some people who offered strange fire, and you can see what happened to them. Nadab and Abihu, I believe it was, right? They came in with the strange fire, and it was like, no, no. We don't want to do that. God has already told us. He's given us what we need to do. Let's just do it God's way. We don't have to try and do it our way. Let's go over to, um, so we have to remember, so our in, the incense that represents our prayers. Go, uh, rising up to God. Go over to um, Psalms chapter 40, uh, 141. Psalms chapter 141, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me. Give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the doors of my lips. Incline not my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. So, this is a psalm of David here. 
And you see that he goes in and he's crying out to God and he's saying, let my prayer be as incense before you. And then he goes right into saying, Lord, set a watch over my lips and climb my heart. He's saying, first of all, God, I know that if I'm coming to you, I have to have, I have to be right. I have to be in right position. So before he goes into this, he's asking God, God, show me. If there's anything that I need to, to, to take to you to, to clean up, if there's anything that I need to repent of, keep me away from those things that would draw me away from you, from the wickedness and all those things. And you can see David, he, he had, he's a man after God's own heart. So he said, I want this prayer to go up to you. So therefore, Lord, make sure that I'm right. I want to make sure that I'm right with you. That's what we have to do. That's what we have to do when we go to God. We've got to make sure we're in right position. Y'all, I mean, like I said, I know a lot of you hear about prayer and you think we're going to start telling you what to do and how to do all these mechanics. But let me tell you, you can have every little mechanic and every word in place. But if your heart is not right, it is just like you're just reading a poem or something. It's not, it is not going to reach God. So it should be our habit to pray this way. It should be our habit. That's what we should do. It should be, remember, continual. Always an open, constant contact with God. And not only should it be us to have an individual thing, we shouldn't also just pray individually, but collectively we should pray. We have corporate prayer on Saturday. We're having a prayer vigil. It should be ingrained in us as believers, not only to pray individually, but we should pray together. Let's go over to Luke chapter 1. And earlier, you know, I was saying um, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts for us as believers. When we come together, you know, we make that joint. We're not just one piece over here. When we come together, you make that joint and we supply each other. We have to start. If you don't think like that, you need to start thinking like that. You know, I think I have enough time. Even if I don't, I'm just going to say it. You have to remember God placed you in the body. He didn't just save you and say, now just go be something. You're saved. We're in the body. If, if you don't believe, first of all, that God placed you in the body, you need to check your salvation. If you don't believe that God placed you in this local body, then what are you doing here? And I think that it, we're all members here tonight. What are you doing here? If it was God's plan for you not to be in a local body, why would it be here? It says forsaking, the, the, the scripture says forsake not the assembling of yourself. So if God called you to this body and you believe that, then you should act like it. You should be a part of everything we're doing. And I don't mean just showing up, coming in at 6.59, leaving exactly when things are, to be a part of it, to be all in. Because the thing about it, you expect God to be all in for you. You expect Him when you pray to hear these prayers, but you're like, well, God, well, you know, I'm, I'm halfway in. You, and you're like, what does that have to do with it? You're being disobedient. God placed you in this body. He said, be in this body, be a joint, supply, and you're taking your supply and your joint and you're running out. So the thing about it is, I don't know much about, I know my body, but I don't really know how it actually works, you know, all the science of it. But I know that things hook together. And if you dislocate something or you pull something apart, things are going to be a little wonky. And in fact, and sometimes if you mess up one bone, it can stop blood flow. And another part of your body can die. 
You think that what God has given you means nothing. You just run out with it. You don't let God work through you, and you're wondering why things, and other people are having to try and make those things work, but you're letting something die. You're thinking, oh, I'm just, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. I come to church, I give offering, I give tithes, but, but you're not all in. You're not all in. You, you still got the walls up, you still got the strongholds up. You're not all in. You may be here, but you're not all in. So we have to remember where to bring what God has given us and where to bring it here. We bring back to where I was actually talking about, the collective prayer. We should have individual prayer, but we should also have collective prayer as a body. Um, Luke chapter 1, right? I told y'all to go over there. Um, we're going to read one verse to kind of give you a little setup, and then we're going to read the other two. So verse 5 um, says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah. And his wife was the daughters, was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And those are John the Baptist's parents. So here we go, verses 9 through 11. According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So this is Zacharias. It was his turn to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right hand of the altar of incense. So what I want want you to see here, so here is, we just talked about over in Exodus that time of incense. And we saw the priest go in. The priest was the only one in there offering incense. That's what he did. Nobody else went in there because they couldn't go. But if you look over here in verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people... The people. It didn't say the high priest, the Levites, the people. Were praying without at the time of incense. They knew when this time was. So you know what they did? Whatever they had to do at home, or whatever they had to do at work, or whatever their children were involved in, they said, not now. When this time of incense came, they came, and guess what? They didn't even get to go in. They stood without and they prayed. So you can't tell me that these people can do that and we can't. So we are to pray individually and we are to pray collectively. So, okay. So you now have no more excuse to miss corporate prayer. You now have no more excuse not to come up here during this prayer vigil. And I know, you got plenty of time. It's, it's, uh, it, we're open almost 24-7. And you know, it's not about the amount of time. Remember, we're talking about effective prayer. You come here and be effective. You have no more excuse. You just saw it. The multitude came. You can't put it on our pastor. You can't put it on our future pastor. You can't put it on the leaders. You can't put it on the deacons. The multitude. So, next time you wonder why this is happening, why this, are you praying? Are you doing what you're supposed to do? Are you in right standing? Are you where you're supposed to be? That's what God is saying with our prayers. You know, a lot of things we think we can come here and we can ask God for whatever and do however. And yes, God is all powerful. He can do, He is limitless. But what limitations are you putting on Him by the way you're using your prayer life? Are you being that effective prayer? Are you being fervent in your prayers? Are you in position? Are you praying in the spirit? Are you exhausting all types of prayer? Are you just being like Joe Ash and being like, ah, three will be enough? 
and I'm out of time. I'll leave you guys with that. You can stand to your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.